0: This is the year 2021 that means it is the year of becoming here at bridgeway and what that means is that we 're going to consistently seek the Lord and find out where we need to alter our lives or align our lives so that we might be all that God designed us to be that 's the goal we grabbed a couple books of the Bible that we wanted to go through this year one of them happened to be the book of Esther and As we designed out the series, we figured out the best title for it, is the Queen's Gambit, a chess move where you make a sacrifice up front that you might have a benefit later on. And for that reason, we've been using the phrase, seize the moment, because there's times when God is going to tap you on the shoulder and whisper in your ear and say, I need you right now, my child. I need you to do something for me. I need you to pray for someone. I need you to care for someone. And in that moment, you gotta grab it because it is possible that the Holy Spirit may say, you know what, this is time sensitive. I'm gonna grab somebody else if you're not gonna do that with me. Therefore, in that moment, we want instant obedience that we might seize the moment to partner with God that we would be able to see that beautiful, divine appointment, that we might be able to see the glory that comes from being in connection with our God, right? So that's what we are doing. Now, uh, we are in part four of our Esther series, and I entitled today's message, The Ultimate Recycler. And here's what I mean. God wastes nothing in his plan. He orchestrates situations that are incredibly complex. It is our goal to be aware of him moving even if it's not how we assume that he would move. And I want to tell you a personal story. I want to tell you a personal story about how maybe inconsequential normal things, even bad things, God can use to make you something different for tomorrow. So, I want to talk about that a little bit. When my parents got divorced when I was seven, and I lost my security, I thought my world had fallen apart. I did not realize that that specific event would make me rely on God alone and to build my faith powerfully. When I struggled with anxiety and fear as a child to the point of a short period of agoraphobia, I didn't realize that was also to drive me into a deep relationship with God because he was the only one that understood me. When I sat in Bible class day after day, week after week in a Christian school, not exactly enjoying the process, I did not realize the foundation of understanding God's word that was being laid in my heart. When I played heavy metal music in bars and clubs and preached my guts out, I did not know that God was building a preacher that would be in charge of designing thousands of lessons. When I got a job as an insurance adjuster, I didn't realize it was building me to be strong when people would yell at me. I didn't realize it would form a determination in me to do the right thing despite peer pressure. When I agreed to guest speak for a little church on my way down to Southern California to become a Christian professor, I didn't know that God was gonna change my heart to fall in love with this church. And here I am 24 years later. So what, yeah, amen. Amen. So what's your story? I mean, you got one of these, right? I mean, something that you kind of go, I didn't see this coming, or I thought this was bad, and then all of a sudden God turned it into this, right? Or I was going down this path, and it got diverted, and I went over onto this path. And you see, God's been working in your life from the womb. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, That God knows what he's doing, and he's moving pieces around In such a brilliant way that half the time we don't even see his hand in it, we only see it after the fact. You know what I'm talking about? And I know you have a story like this. I know that God is building the story in you right now. There is a reason why you are engaging with this message right here, right now. There's something that he's doing. Here's a fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you or if you are online, maybe on that app that you opened up, write this down, God's plans are brilliant and complex. God's plans are brilliant and complex. I would suggest so much so, you may not even see them happening, but indeed, he is working. We're going to talk about a a moment in the story of Esther where God does something that looks like an odd coincidence. I'm going to suggest to you that God has an amazing ability to use coincidence as if it was planned, right? I wonder sometimes whether or not there's anything such as coincidence. I wonder whether or not God's orchestration and his divine appointments make coincidence merely setups, right? But not all of you have heard the story of Esther. Not all of you have been in this series from the beginning. So we need to recap. So previously, on Esther. (laughs) A young nobody, a young Jewish lady, she wins a beauty contest to become the next queen of the Persian Empire. Her adopted dad ends up getting in a fight with a bad dude at work. His name is Haman, he happens to be a psychopath. They get into it and Haman, who has more power as the right hand of the king, he ends up deciding that not only does he hate Mordecai, her adopted dad, but he hates all Jews. And he convinces the king in this manipulation to kill all Jews in the Persian Empire. So he marks out a specific day where there is governmental protection so that all Persians can kill men, women, children that are Jews and steal all of their stuff. It is a nationwide genocide that is planned and it's on its way. Mordecai finds out about this and he falls down before God mourning publicly and Esther comes to him and says, what is wrong? And he said, our people are going to get wiped out. I need you to do the right thing. I need you to go in and talk to your husband. I need you to go in and see the king, tell him the plan, and put a stop to it. She said, I don't think you understand. That would cost me my life. You know what kind of guy I had to marry. That dude is not okay upstairs. As a matter of fact, if I catch him on a bad day, he will flat out cut my head off. Literally, not metaphorically, he will really kill me. And he said, you know, Esther, I believe this is the whole reason why you won that contest. I think this is the whole reason why you're in the palace in the first place. I think that God has been leading up to this very moment. And she says, all right, I need you to get everybody to pray and fast with me. I'll do this. Sure enough, she walks into the king one day and it goes well. God had given her favor. The king says, Esther, how great to see you what can I do for you? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. She says, you know what? I only have one request. He's like, what's that? I need you and Haman to come to my private party. I got something special for you guys. And he's thinking, man, that sounds like a great idea. Absolutely, we'll be there. Well, sure enough, they go to the party and they're hanging out and it's all good and fun and Right, They're playing games, and, and then at the end of the night, the king says, Esther, this is great, but what in the world am I doing here? I know you need something. What do you need from me? I'll give you whatever you need. And she said, you know what I would really love? He said, yeah, tell me, that you and Haman come back for another party. He said, all right, we can do that. I'll do anything for you. And that's where we pick up our story right? Would you turn with me to Esther chapter 6, verse 1. Now, I got to correct something. I had my buddy John come to me last week, and after the sermon, he's like, hold up real quick. You made it sound like that it was the king's idea to bring Haman to the party, but the Bible's clear that it was Esther's idea to bring Haman to the party. He is correct. What that was was called an error in preaching, that was called something wrong, all right? We all clear on that one? Let's, let's clear that one up. And the reason why is that Esther was putting into a plan that God had laid on her heart, and that plan is about to unfold in this moment as we begin to read. Now, I'm gonna paraphrase some, and I'm gonna have you read along with me some of this. So let me begin by paraphrasing. We are after the first party, before the second party, And it's nighttime, and the king can't sleep. Now, what happens when you can't sleep? Well, the king wanted to turn on the news. The problem is, he didn't have a TV. So he ends up calling in a live dude to read to him everything that's been going on in the empire over the last maybe weeks or months, and he wants to kind of catch up. He's got a bit of insomnia today. So that guy begins to read all throughout the night. It starts getting to the early morning time. And they come across a story that the king had forgotten. The guy reading to him says, oh, you remember that time when those guys tried to kill you? He's like, nah, not really. That happens a lot around here. And he's like, well, it was actually really intense. There were some inside guys that hated your guts, right? Which, sir... I love you, but anyway, they're totally against you, and they decide to do this this plot, this conspiracy, but this guy named Mordecai, right, he works out in the office over there, I don't know if you remember him, but anyway, so he ends up getting a word through your queen to you, we foil the plot, the guys are busted, they're out of here, you're safe, you remember that? The king's like, dang, not really well, what did we do for that guy? Nothing. Nothing. The dude saves my life. We give him nothing. No ice cream, nothing like that. We didn't send anything to him, a gift basket, soap, anything like that. Uh, No, sir, we've given him nothing. Well, that doesn't sound right. Gosh, we got to do something for that guy. Let me think, let me think, let me think. And that's where we pick up our story. Go to verse four. The king said... Wait, I hear somebody moving around. Who's in the court? Who's in the lobby? Now Haman, that's the bad guy, had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak with the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows. He's there to say, kill that guy. And the king's young men told him, well, Haman's here. He's standing right out there. The king said, bring him in. Verse six, so Haman came in and the king said to him, Hey, Haman, quick question for you. What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman thought to himself, well, who would the king delight to honor more than me? Haman said to the king, ah, I got an idea for you. For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn himself, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let those robes and that horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress that man whom the king delights to honor. Let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And the king said to Haman, Man, that's a brilliant idea. I need you to hurry up, take those robes and the horse, just like you said, and I need you to do that to Mordecai the Jew who sits out at the front gate. Leave nothing out that you mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man who the king delights to honor. How awkward was that ride? (gasps) Are you kidding me? These guys hate each other. One guy is planning the public genocide of the other dude's people group and they're riding together. This is so awkward, right? And you got him dressing him and and all that and you know Mordecai is thinking, dude, I would love to enjoy this with anyone but you. This is not even fun for me right now. Right? And he's got to walk him through the streets. This guy's awesome. (laughs) This guy's awesome. Right? All the way through the streets. Because he was thinking it was going to be for him. So, a couple things that I want to highlight for you. First of all, this is what's called a God setup. Right? Why couldn't the king sleep? Why did the king have insomnia that night? Why did they happen to read? that portion of the story? You see, that's called an orchestration by God. Have you ever had that happen to you? You know, it's possible that you woke up in the middle of the night and you just thought it was something rumbling in the tumbly. You know what I'm saying? And maybe God was trying to get your attention to pray. It may be that God was trying to get your attention to connect in with him, but you just thought it was insomnia. Because here's what's really fascinating to me about all this. God will use inconsequential things to direct you. Are you tracking on it? I want to tell you a story where I think I saw God set up, but I don't have any proof yet. This last Friday, not a couple days ago, but a week ago, I had the honor of partnering with Pastor Mark here at the church to lead a memorial service for a friend of mine's son. This friend of mine has been here at Bridgeway for 21 years. His 24-year-old son was killed in a car accident. I had a chance to be a part of that service. And Ken came over to me, and he shared a couple amazing things. He comes over, and he says, hey, Lance, come here for a second. See that guy sitting in the front row? he has my son's kidney. When his son Banham died, nine of his organs went to go save nine other people. One of them was there. And he was sitting in the front row, and boy, he should not have been there that day. Side note, he had just gotten out of surgery. He was sweating up a storm. It was not awesome. But he wanted to be there to honor that someone gave him life. Then he said... Lance, here's another thing that's interesting. See that couple over there? They're the ones that saw it happen and came on the scene first. I thought, wow, they came? That's pretty amazing. They don't know the family. They don't have any connection. So I went up to him and I wanted to talk to him. I said, hey, you don't know me, but I just wanted to thank you for being there with Bannum during his final moments. It's like all of a sudden you got forced into some EMT position with no training. And now all of a sudden you're there. And the man started to cry. And he said, I should have done more. I said, sir, with all due respect, I disagree with you. You see, I believe that God was always going to translate Bantam to glory. Your job was simply to be kind in his final moments. You did everything God asked you to do. Your job was never to save him. And he cried more and he said, I don't know if I could tell you how much that that frees my spirit. He said, You know, it's interesting because we were camping earlier that day and we were going to go home. And we drove down Highway 70 right here. And as we're driving, we realized we had our friend's keys in our pocket. And we went, oh, shoot, we got to turn around and go back. So we went back to the campsite, handed our friends the keys, and then got back on the road. It delayed us going home, and it's the only reason we were behind him. All right. Now, I've been around Jesus and the Holy Spirit long enough in my life to know a setup when I see it. I don't know why that was a setup. I only talked to that couple for two minutes. I don't know what God is doing with them, but it was not an accident. I know the very fact that you start hearing something like, oh, we accidentally had those keys in our pocket, and then it reset us. Then we got back on the road. Oh, we happened to see him pass us. Oh, we happened to see him veer off the road and hit a tree. We happened to be able to be there for him. That's a God setup. God knew what Bantam needed. God knew what that couple needed. And he's working in their lives. You following me? Powerful stuff. Now, in my opinion, there is no such thing as coincidence. We may or may not ever find out its meaning, but God is really good at tying things together and knowing how to move pieces around. So I want to talk for a moment about tracking on the Holy Spirit. How, if the Bible says keep in step with the Spirit, how are you supposed to do that when he's invisible? And indeed, Jesus was talking to a very smart leader in the Bible, and he started telling him about the Holy Spirit. And he described him like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's headed, but you can see its effects, like in the leaves. Well, how are we supposed to follow the Holy Spirit if he's like the wind and he's invisible? Well, I got a little nature lesson for you. Outside the back of my house are wetlands. I live out in Folsom and we got these wetlands and what wetlands mean is you got a billion little animals everywhere out there. We got turtles, hiding under fences. We got ducks flying in our pool. We got all kinds of stuff going on in our backyard. On certain seasons, the frogs are so loud, right? We got beavers slapping their tails that sound like gunshots. I mean, it is, it is like my own little nature preserve back there. Well, one of the things it draws is tons of little birds, and they just go off like, da, 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 da. you know, they're just talking and chirping and they fill the trees. And I'll watch the wind whipping around, and all of a sudden, as if they all got their pagers set off at the same time. They lift off the tree, and boom, there's like 40 of them, and they all take off together. And I watch them ride the currents of the wind. I'm watching them dip and dive, and they're all together. It's almost like they're navigating it, like we take the L train down to 10th Street, and then we got to switch over and take another current, right? And they're moving all together in such beautiful orchestration. What are they doing? They're riding the wind. But I thought you couldn't see the wind. Oh, you can't but you start picking up on patterns. You see, the Holy Spirit, it's not going to be an exact science. I know where he's going, I know what he's doing. You're not gonna know that. But the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you can start picking up on patterns and you start following him in what he's doing. You start hearing stories and they mark out and you go, that was the Holy Spirit. You start recognizing patterns in your own life I remember God laid that person on my heart. I found out later they were going through a difficult time. I wish I would have given them a call. Oh, I remember when I got a check in the mail, and I didn't know that we even had that money coming, but sure enough, two weeks later, here comes a bill. We had no idea it was coming either. Right? Oh, I know that time when I was going to go hurry up and get to a place early, but then my alarm didn't go off, and I ended up sleeping in a little longer than I thought, and it put me behind schedule, and I was so angry that day only to find out there was a massive accident on the freeway. When you hear enough stories like that, you have a very different perspective of life, You guys, I've heard so many stories like that over my time in ministry that any time my life gets derailed by something accidental, I thank the Lord because I'm not quite sure what he just saved me from. All I'm telling you is I can't see the Holy Spirit, but I'm starting to learn to pick up on his patterns and I want to ride those waves, amen? Yeah. Yeah, one last thought before we move on, and it kept talking about Haman had prepared gallows to kill Mordecai. And I want to talk about those gallows because I've said a couple different things throughout this series about it not being a traditional gallows. Here's why I tell you that. See, when we think of gallows, we think of the game hangman, right? We put the little stairs up and we put the little thing there, and right? That's normally what we think of. And indeed, we think old western, The problem is, we're going into the ancient world. The Persian Empire can hang people, but that was not really their groove. Their groove was a little bit more, let's say, graphic. That what they wanted to do was, instead of going through all the dramatic stuff of building a bigger set, they just had a pole that was super sharp, and they would stick you on it and let you slowly sink down till you die. Now, that was their gallows. And the reason why that's important to mention here is that according to our story, it's 75 feet high. Now, I need you to picture how you're going to do the little trapdoor thingy and how you're going to do the little rope thingy 75 feet in the air. I don't think that's a thing. But you can make a pole that goes 75 feet in the air and lean a ladder against it and you can put somebody up on there. I believe that is what he had created to kill Mordecai because it's gonna come into play here in a moment, all right? Here we go, let's move forward. All right, verse 12. Then Mordecai, after his awkward pony ride, returned to his job at the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house. He was horrified. He was mourning and with his head covered, and Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you've begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. Whoa, hold up, that is totally different than the last conversation they had. You guys remember the last one? He comes home super angry that Mordecai wouldn't bow before him. He's crying and freaking out and they tell him, dude, just create a big old huge pole, stick the guy on it and kill him. That's what their last advice was. This advice? Oh man, you're right, that's Mordecai, that's the Jew guy that you're trying to kill? Yeah, no, you're gonna die. Uh, that's really weird because last time you told me to kill him and now you're telling me that I'm going to die because of this guy? Yep, yeah, we're pricking up on a totally different vibe today. Okay, <laughs> that's pretty radical. Okay, this is what you get when you get unwise counsel. Yep. Be very careful of who you're listening to. If they do not have your best interest in mind, if they are not interested in truth, if they are not interested in consistency, you're going to get bad advice for your life. You've got to know that. I need you to be very cautious with media. Media's job is not to make you healthy. Media's job is to entertain you. Media's job is to sell advertising. So what they're going to do is ride any wave that shows up. So that's why sometimes on a Tuesday, you'll hear, hey, we have late breaking news, the world is ending. And then you get on Thursday, late breaking news, the world is awesome. Okay, you're like, well, hold on, is it ending or is it awesome? Their job is to do whatever that day is most interesting. They need to keep your attention. So, once again, their job is not to get you healthy, their job is not to be accurate. Their job is to sell advertising and make sure you watch their program. So be very careful because you may say, oh, I got great counselors. You might have some really good Christian friends. The problem is you're not listening to your Christian friends as much as you're listening to the radio. You're not listening to your Christian friends as much as you're watching TV. You are being advised by a huge amount of influences that may not have your best interest at heart. Be very cautious with that. Are bad things occurring? Yes. But are they being accurately portrayed to you? Not usually. So we gotta watch out on that. All right, here's the other thing. Haman's selfishness got turned on his head. His pride got him into trouble. Because here's what the story just said. He comes in, the king's like, man, I want to do something super awesome for a great guy, and he couldn't see anyone other than himself. I'm a great guy. Who would the king want to honor more than me? The king never even brought him up. Why does pride go before the fall? Right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Pride goes before the fall. Why is that? I think it's the exact same reason why you should never hike with your nose in the air. You understand what I'm talking about? You didn't see that pothole coming, did you? Nope, you were all about you. You had your nose in the air, you were so prideful, you walked right into the pit. Everybody else could see the pit coming, but you were so wrapped in yourself, you never even saw the obvious. We have to be very careful because pride blinds us from reality. Pride blinds us from things that everyone else can see, but you're not tracking on it because we're too full of us. Does that make sense? Once again, God enjoys humbling the proud, but He also enjoys lifting up the humble. Make sure you're on the right side of that equation. Yeah? Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to paraphrase for you what happens back at the party. Okay? So the Right while Haman is talking to his family and they're like, dude, I think you're going to die. Right in that moment, ding dong, somebody comes to the door. They're like, Haman, you got to go to the party, man. Like the party starting at Esther's house. He's like, I don't even want to go to a party right now. Well, come on, dude. You got to go. He comes into the party. Esther has everything set up. They're having a great time. Eventually, Haman forgets about the embarrassment and he's moving on and they're drinking and they're hanging out and everything. And then the night gets a little bit later. And the king says, Esther, my dear, I love this. Awesome. Yeah, what do you need? Like, obviously, you have us hanging out with you for a reason. I mean, I get it. I'm great company. I don't know about this other dude. But all I'm telling you is I'm not sure what we're doing at a party. I like it. But if that's it, I got to go. Can I do anything for you? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And she said, you know what, king? Here's my problem. I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. He's like, wait, what? What? I need you to not only save me, I need you to save my people because someone is coming to kill my people and they're gonna hunt me down and they're gonna kill me. And he's like, well, I don't even know what we're talking about. And Haman's like, I don't know what we're talking about. And she's like, I gotta tell you, I'm in danger, my life is in danger. And he said, who would dare to ever endanger my queen? And she says, that guy. And Haman's like, "Oh." (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> ah what's that <laughs> right she's like I'm a Jew this guy convinced you to wipe out all the Jews you think that's not going to kill me it's not going to kill Mordecai my adopted dad who we set the whole thing up for you think that it's what not going to kill everybody that I love this is what I need you from King has no idea what's going on right now this is, we're gonna read it in a second, in chapter seven, verse seven, because the king just freaks out, stands up, I, I gotta clear my head, and he storms out of the place. Now, one of the things you need to know about the book of Esther, when you read it in Hebrew, it is written for dark humor. Now, there's some of you twisted people in here that that's your favorite form of movie, <laughs> right? You love the dark humor. Dark humor is not, "ha,ha, ha, funny. Dark humor is, oh shoot, I'm not supposed to be smiling right now, but oh my gosh, I know that guy's dying, but oh, that's really funny. That's really funny. I feel like a bad person. Okay, that's dark humor. The story of Esther is written like that. It was meant to be that way, all right? Let's pick it up in verse 7. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was, he was trying to beg and hang on and kiss her feet and beg. And the king said, will he even assault my queen in my presence, in my own house? He thinks that he's trying to rape her. As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Okay, let's just pause. If you got people waiting in your house to bag somebody, (laughs) that's a sketchy place. You understand what I'm saying? You're like, I don't like him. They're like, thank you. Put the hood over his head and they start dragging him out. And this is the best part of the story. Verse 9, then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, oh, sir, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word, save the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. You know what that means, wink, wink. (laughs) Right? The king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai, and the wrath of the king abated. (laughs) Wow, that went really badly. (laughs) Haman had a no good, very bad day. It was one bomb went off after another. It starts out where she outs him and he's like, ah, and then all of a sudden the king thinks that he's attacking his wife and he's like, ah, and then all of a sudden the eunuch is like, oh, by the way, sir, right? He's like, you could totally hang him on that stuff right there, you know? <laughs> and you know that the eunuch was like, oh, I've always hated that man anyway, so bye-bye. <laughs> Toodle-oo. Hero to zero, real fast. Side note on the king's reaction, you can't just kill everyone you don't like. I mean, uh, this is her husband. Notice why he's a little unstable, right? Uh, As much as we love it for the story, that is a really weird reaction, right? It's kind of anyone that ticks him off, he just kills him, right? So probably a scary man to be living with. Let's pick it up in chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, King Xerxes gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her, her adopted dad. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. As Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Okay, a couple of things. What does it mean to get the house of someone? It means you inherited their estate. Was Haman wealthy? If you remember in the story, he was willing to spend $15 million to kill the Jews. You think that was all of his cash? Oh, no. That was merely a portion of his cash. She got all his stuff. But of course, in practicality, she has a busy life being a queen doing her stuff in the palace. She does not need that. So what does she do? She calls over her dad and gives him the house and the estate to watch over for her. Now, here's what is so beautiful about that. This is something that is rarely highlighted, in my opinion, when people read the book of Esther. And it's the interplay between this adult man and this young woman. You see, that was not her dad by blood. That was her cousin by blood who ended up adopting her. So you have this older man partnering with this younger woman in this brilliant fashion where they watch over each other, they protect each other, they bless each other. Because if you remember, early in the story, Mordecai would walk by her palace every day to make sure she was okay. Now when the tables have turned, she provides a whole house and everything for him. He's the one that ends up kind of challenging her, and then she ends up challenging him. And there's this beautiful interplay between the men and women so that the nation of the Jews would be saved. All I'm telling you is that we're all built differently, but we are all necessary. Amen? Amen. Now, as we close out, Here's what I wanna talk about. When you are in your darkest day, God is working. I know you can't see it. I know you feel discouraged. I know you feel like you can't imagine how what you're going through will ever lead to good. I know that you're going to see sin and wickedness, sorrow and grief, and you're going to say, God must not be here. I just need you to know, if I was able to tell you the genealogy of the Messiah's line, it is the messiest line of chaos and sin and wickedness. But God knows how to make garbage into gold, does he not? And he will do so in your life. I just need you to understand, when you can't see his hand, he's still there, he's still working, he's still orchestrating, and he is doing things today that will bless you tomorrow. God is really good at surprises. Think about the best flip over in the Bible, and it's the cross. Picture that you're Satan. Satan. You've been hating God, you tried to take his throne, it didn't work. You got embarrassed and humiliated, you've been mad ever since. You hate his children, you hate everything he loves. And then one day, he decides to become flesh and dwell on the earth. This is your best shot you'll ever have to make him hurt. So what do you do? You launch your full assault on him. You get people to make fun of him. You get close people to betray him. You wreck him. You end up making him hungry and thirsty and tired. And then finally, you get a chance to nail him to a piece of wood. And you know you're going to kill the son of God. You think it is your biggest, baddest plan that ever happened. And then he dies. For the sins of the world, and everything falls on your head. Everything you thought was victory is now your greatest defeat. Everyone you tried to destroy, he just saved. And when you thought that you were going to humiliate him, we now all of a sudden, all these thousands of years later, have a cross in our church that the very thing you thought you were going to hurt him with has now become the very reason we praise him. Amen. Amen. Listen, I don't know what the enemy has done in your life for evil. I just know the power of God to change it into something good. So therefore, I want to encourage you as we step out today, I want to encourage you, God is brilliant. He knows how to navigate your life. He is orchestrating it even now, and he's doing things you're not tracking on. So what we're going to do as we close out is I'm going to be praying through a couple different things, and I'm going to be praying in general for those of you that may be a little discouraged. I'm going to be praying very specifically about some things that God has laid on the heart of me and my team. So what we're going to do is I'm going to have you, when I pray about something that matters to you, I need you to just raise your hand to the Lord. I got my eyes closed. It ain't for me. I need you to raise your hand up to the Lord and just say, God, pastor's talking about me. Would you allow it to be true for me? All right? You ready to do this? All right, let's begin to pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to move and minister as you see fit. So God, we lift your name up high today that you are glorious. We're going to thank you in advance. We're going to thank you in the good times and in the bad. God, there are some of us that are discouraged right now because we can't see your hand and we don't know what you're doing. As a matter of fact, Lord, in our highest level of intelligence, we can't see it as positive. But God, we are limited. You are so much smarter. You're so much better at all of this that right now we trust you. Lord, we raise our hand right now in our discouragement saying, God, would you encourage us If you are right now discouraged, raise your hand up to the Lord. God, I am discouraged, but I want to be encouraged. I ask, Lord, that you would pour down into my heart, into my life, your love, that you would pour down your power, that you would pour down something that changes my mindset to believe in you, to trust in you, to know that you are working on my behalf, and he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Lord, there are some of us that are struggling right now, God, with some physical ailments. Lord God, in general, if we are struggling with something physically that is just wrecking our world and taking our attention, we raise our hand to you right now. Lord God, we are asking for your healing power to flow in this service, in this atmosphere, in this time right here, right now. We have a couple things we're going to lift up and call out. For those of you that are currently suffering from spinal disfigurement, and what I mean by that is whether that is scoliosis or whether or not that is something that has been damaged due to an accident or anything else, I just want you right now to keep your hand up to the Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray that spine would be healed and straightened and perfect and glorious. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would do what the doctors have not been able to do. God, you made our bodies in such a beautiful way that our spines are so sensitive, and everything that they say was going to help us, we're afraid is going to hurt us more. So with your own hands, with your own beautiful, medically perfect hands, Would you straighten and have perfect curvature in our spine that we might be able to stand without pain and sleep without pain? You can put your hands down. For those of you right now that have suffered with hearing loss, with difficulty in your ears, with tinnitus, with anything that had to do with vertigo, with anything like that, would you just lift your hands up to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would enter into our eardrums, that you would enter into our middle ear and begin to fuse and heal that which has been either damaged at birth or damaged in life. God, we pray for healing in Jesus' name, that God, that we would begin to hear right, that we would be able to engage in the world in a different way. Lord, you have been so beautiful to minister to us whatever way we were built, But God, we are asking right now for your healing to come in. Tinnitus, stop in Jesus' name. Vertigo, stop in Jesus' name. All crystals be made right and settled and balanced in the ears of our people. We pray right now that that which is clogged up may be unstopped. That which is not existent, we pray that it would be made existent. We pray, Lord, that there would be healing launched right here right now, all across our congregation, in our ears. And we ask this in Jesus' name. God, we are so thankful. We are so thankful, Lord, for the ways that you have healed us. God, there's some of us here that have been healed of mental health issues, physical health issues. Lord, we are going to testify right now and say you are a good God. We love you we praise you. And God, whether or not you do everything we want you to do or not, you're still amazing, and we will praise you in the good times and in the bad. Lord, would you encourage our hearts today, build our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.